it is Christmas. Uh, well, I kind of, sort of. We kind of ease in, like early December. I don't know what your tradition is. Our, our tradition at our family is the day after Thanksgiving, we come home and set up our Christmas tree. I'd like to take a quick poll. Who has a Christmas tree up already? Oh, wow. Okay. So we're, we're kind of normal, I guess. How many is like still waiting? There's no shame in this game. Yeah. All right. So it's fine. And like, you know, March is fine. You set it up in March and then that's good for next year. So many cool traditions at Christmas. We've got a really weird one where we get in our cars and we go look at lights at other people's house. Have you thought about how weird that is? It's cool. I love it. What other time of the year do you just like creep slowly by someone else's house looking at the lights? <laughs> like at that point, you call the police. But in the, like in Christmas, you like invite people. Like, hey, come creep slowly by my house. We totally want you to do that. Uh, lots of foods, lots of parties, a lot of traditions. And one of the greatest traditions at Christmas, at least my personal humble opinion, is the music. I love the music. We got, oh, some of you have been listening to Christmas music since June. That's not okay. It's just, you. it's okay for you, it's not okay for me. Uh, but I think right after Thanksgiving is a sweet spot. Maybe you're easing in one or two songs a week until you get right up to it, and then you cut it off. Maybe you're not into music, I don't know. But the Christmas songs are a big part of the season, aren't they? You know it's Christmas because the radio stations, some of them completely stop playing the music they play all year and just play Christmas music. Uh, there's kids' songs, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and uh, Frosty the Snowman, maybe Jingle Bells is a... It's more of like a travel song. We're dashing through the snow. I don't know what's happening. Then there's, uh, let's see, what other kind of songs have we got? We've got uh, songs about the weather. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I don't know why that's a Christmas song. It's more like a winter song, but we sing it at Christmas. Um, There's pop music, and this is interesting. Have you noticed how many Christmas love songs there are? There's a lot. Thank you, Mariah Carey for that. There's like all kinds of, and it's all about like, you know, you feel actually romantic or maybe like you have no love at Christmas. It goes both ways with Christmas love songs. Uh, But Christians, we have a whole like just list of songs that tell us the story of Jesus coming to the world. And so for the next four weeks, or at least for December, we're not doing a Christmas Eve, I don't think, but we're going to have discussion about some of these Christmas songs. And we're calling this series Carols, the story behind the songs we sing. Uh, The story, the one story that all of these Christmas songs that talk about Jesus tell. And each of these songs tells kind of different aspects of it. The goal of this series is when this song pops on the radio, you immediately are taken back to the teaching that we get during this season, maybe for the rest of your life, and go, oh, yes, that is a deeper draw behind that song. Jesus coming into the world just an aside here, uh, maybe you've never thought about this, maybe you have, it's very unlikely that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. You ever, you ever thought about that? Like, don't let that blow your mind too much. But that's, Christ, Christians early on chose what was already a popular season as the end of winter, equinox, solstice celebration. Lots of cultures have some big celebration around that time. They begin using that as the time to celebrate the greatest gift that God ever gave, which was to come to the world as a human, specifically as a vulnerable, innocent child. Beautiful story. And so early Christians adopted this season to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and it's carried on. It's pretty cool. It's become a mega holiday today, complete with you know, sales papers and Christmas specials and Charlie Brown and, you know, everybody else has a Christmas special. Uh, but these songs have made it last. Now, I don't know how many things in life you have learned through songs. Did you learn your ABCs through a song? Yeah, did Biggie teach you more money, more problems? Did you learn that? Like, we learn a lot through songs. And it's great that Christmas has these songs that teach us about Jesus's life. And so each week we're going to look at a song. I want to talk about a day song a little bit before I unveil what it is. It was written in the 1800s. 
as many of our Christmas songs were. Uh, and it was actually a French song to begin with, written by a French poet and winemaker. His name was Placide Capot. Placide Capot. I want to thank Celia Nelson. I'm going to have to say some French words here this morning, and I actually got some coaching from a real Frenchman. Um, I'll probably butcher everything I say here. Uh, but the version we sing today was rewritten by an English uh, writer in 1847, but it's an old, old song. Let me, uh, the story goes like this. There, there is a Catholic priest in France who was looking for a new song that would tell the story of Luke chapter 2, which is the nativity story. It's the story that talks about Jesus coming into the world. And so he goes to this poet, uh, Placide Capot, and he says, will you write me a poem? Now, here's the thing. This poet was not a Christian. These were Catholics. He was not a Catholic. He was not part of the Catholic church, and he was not a Christian. Not only that, but he kind of had a bad reputation. He was kind of a hellraiser. And so, but it's interesting. So he writes this song. And he liked it. The poet was like, this is a good song. So he goes to his friend who's a songwriter, like a musician. He's like, can you help me put some music to this song? And so they put a tune to it, and they write this song, and they take it back to the priest, and the priest is like, this is a great song. They sing it, and it takes off. Their church loves it. The surrounding area churches begin to love it. It begins to spread through France like wildfire until the higher-ups in the Catholic church start hearing about the origin of this song. It was written by you know, someone that's not part of our church is written by you know, this winemaker and this carouser and this what? We, we got to stop this song. So some of the higher ups, uh, allegedly, legend has it, go into the church and they say, stop singing the song. Can't sing the song. Can't, this is not a sanctioned song. You can't sing this song. But if you know any humans, you know it was too late. <laughs> it was too late. That song had taken off. And I'm so thankful because it's become one of my favorites. Um, now, this song uh, that Placide Capou wrote in French was called Minuet Chrétien. I probably said that completely wrong. In English, we call it O Holy Night. O Holy Night. Um, now, another cool layer to this song. Okay, it's 1906. We're going to trans, we're going to like fly forward in history. We're in America, and this guy's, I think, a Canadian-American guy, and he is an inventor. And he's working on a high-tech technology that he's working on called amplitude modulation. You know what that is? AM radio. Yeah, it's just cutting-edge stuff, man. And he is working on the AM radio, and it's Christmas Eve, 1906, and he's got a system set up, and he decides to get a microphone and hook it up to one of his transmitters, and he reads through a microphone Luke chapter 2, the nativity story, the story of Jesus coming into the world, God as a man entering into the human story. And he reads this story, and then he picks up his violin, and he plays Oh Holy Night. And this is neat because it was the first ever radio broadcast for entertainment purposes. All centered around this song. Kind of neat. When you hear that song from now on, now you know some nerdy things to bore your friends with. Any pop singer worth their salt has recorded this, al- this song on their Christmas album. Every- and they all try to over- outdo the last person. Oh, Holy Night. The lyrics of it are beautiful. The, uh, the arrangement of it is beautiful. The-, the melody of it is memorable. And we sing it here every year at our church. Oh, Holy Night. All over America. This week, last week, next week, maybe for you it's going to be March. People are decorating for Christmas. And there is going to be a portion of a lot of people's Christmas decorations. Uh, we call it a nativity scene. You know, you've got the manger and the baby and Mary and Joseph and their sheep. And depending on where you are on the, on the debate, maybe there's wise men and camels. Maybe there's not. You know, it's like, were they there? And so there's this, the nativity scene. Here's a cool thing. When we take a snapshot of the song, Oh Holy Night, when we take a snapshot called the nativity, when we take a snapshot of Jesus' birth story called Luke chapter 2, it all encapsulates into this, God giving mankind 
the most beautiful and powerful gift he has ever given us. God coming into the world as a human with the express purpose of bridging the gap between our sin and our brokenness and his light and his love and forgiveness. It's beautiful. That is the story of Luke chapter 2. That is the story of O Holy Night. And I want to read Luke chapter 2 for you this morning. If you've got a Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. We love to read the stories of God and get to know him better. And we'll be in Luke chapter 2, which is in the New Testament, starting at verse 2. If you uh, have ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Linus taught you this story already. Luke chapter 2, verse 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. That's the scene. Now, there are several details in this very short story that really set the stage for us today. And I want to start out this carols season talking about the O Holy Night. The circumstances that Mary and Joseph found themselves in were quite precarious. Let's look at a couple of them. The first one is this. This was an unforgettable trip for Mary. I don't know if you've ever traveled with a very pregnant woman. Uh, my wife, when it was time, I loaded us up in our Nissan Altima and drove her to the hospital. I'm trying to picture me leading the donkey, okay? This is not a, a great trip. Uh, my mom has this really cool tradition of calling me the night before my birthday and telling me like the story before I went, she went to the hospital to give birth. And she, she says like, hey, this is always how she starts. And she just, hello? Hey. Well, it was X number of years ago. I was doing laundry and I leaned over to pick up the laundry basket and I felt a cramp in my stomach and I knew it was time. And every year she calls me. I'm like, oh, mom. And like the more it happens years and years ago, I'm kind of like, I look forward to the phone call. Not everyone has such a cool story as me, like, you know, your mom was doing laundry. Um, <laughs> even if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, this time before the birth story is epic. There's this huge census. It is monumental census for the whole region. They've got to travel. He's got to go to the hometown to register. And in this moment, this story unfolds. And so there's a couple of things that happen in this scenario. Not only is it a crazy travel story, there's the whole no room in the end situation. What's that about? Why was there no room in the inn? There weren't hotels. There was no, uh, you know, Holiday Inn Express. The Jewish people are notoriously, especially in the first century and sooner, some of the most hospitable people in the world. That is what they are known for. I've heard some really great teaching that the reason God chose Abraham as the starting point for the whole Jewish nation was because of his hospitality. And if you look through his story, he lets other people into his life, and, and so do his family, let other people into their life, even at the expense of their own family members, because of this hospitality as a value. And in the Middle East, it's still a very, very high value. In our house, it's like, uh, don't call during dinner, and don't knock on the door when I'm asleep, and can everybody please leave me alone? Like that's, It's the complete opposite of that. There are stories in the Bible of people who let complete strangers come into their house, and they take care of them, and they feed them the best stuff that they have. A good Jewish host would never 
have put a very pregnant lady out in the barn with the sheep. They would put their own mother out there first before they did that. Why then does this young pregnant mom show up in need of a place to stay and nobody will house them? Well, there's something else going on here. You hear about the virgin birth. The baby inside of Mary was miraculously grown there by God's Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. That's something that, yes, I do believe, and yes, I can read. Uh, this is a miracle. This is a, this is a really big deal. And some angels showed up, an angel showed up and talked to Mary and told her, hey, look, this is what's going on. Would you be willing to accept this huge role? The angel goes to Joseph and says the same thing. This woman that you're planning to marry, she's going to be pregnant. It's not going to be your baby, but it's all good. It's God's baby. The angels had appeared to them, but the angels had not done the same courtesy to everyone else in the region. So this young couple shows up. The word begins to spread that they're not legally married yet, and there's taboo there. And people would rather put this lady out in a field or in a stable than let this disreputable young lady come into their house and influence their family and be seen letting them in. I mean, they were just, it was hard for them. There's, there's ideas and stories that Mary's own family turned her out. So this is an added layer to the birth story, making the story already, if Jesus is not the Messiah, an unforgettable time for this family. It's going crazy. There they find themselves alone, an outcast, and they're among animals. God sends his greatest gift to mankind, to a young couple. What a story. The story in Luke chapter 2, it, it is just an encapsulated version of the grander story of all of the biblical narrative. That there is a gap, there is a chasm, there is a space between God's beautiful perfection and mankind's jacked up brokenness. And there's a gap there. And that God continuously through the story stands in the gap to bridge the distance. And in this specific moment, God gives his greatest gift, coming into the world, putting on skin, becoming a vulnerable, innocent human baby to set the stage for the biggest thing the world has ever seen. I want to take a look back at the lyrics to Oh Holy Night uh, so that every time you hear it from now on, you'll know that the living God, the God of creation, stands in the middle of that tension between his beautiful gift and the brokenness of the world. Let's look at the lyrics. Try not to sing it. Just look at it. It's difficult. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, and it's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. A thrill of hope. Can you feel that right now, this morning? Do you remember being a young child and waking up on Christmas morning? Did any of you ever do the classic thing, sneak into the kitchen, I mean the living room, and, and there's gifts out, mom and dad aren't out of bed yet, and you get this, oh yeah! And in my house, we would go jump on my mom and dad and be like 4.30 in the morning, like, get up! And dad's like, oh, 
what is today? Oh, I gotta go to work. <laughs> it's like, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. But there's this moment before everything breaks out, before, like afterwards, the, the wrapping paper's on the floor and you've already gone to grandma's house and it's over and it's like, oh, there's kind of this like post-Christmas depression that happens. But there's, but, the, but before that though, there's this thrill of hope because you know what's coming and you're pumped. I was putting my daughter to bed one night this week and she was laying there with her eyes wide open and she's grinning ear to ear and she's holding her blanket like this. It's like a postcard. She's like, Lights are out. She's been in bed for 10 minutes, and I get this feeling because her bed kind of creaks when she moves, and I'm hearing like, grr, 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 grr. I'm like, what are you doing? So I walk in there. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, I'm so excited. I'm like, why? It was like, you know, November 28th. <laughs> why? It's Christmas. I'm like, it's not Christmas. Go to sleep. <laughs> it's Christmas. I'm excited. She wanted to jump in, and she started telling me, oh, I have all these great memories, and I can't wait to go. Can you feel it? The thrill of hope. This song tells the story of God stepping in the gap and saying, brokenness, beauty, let me bridge the distance. There's a thrill of hope that happens there. But listen to the condition of the world that the songwriter describes. He says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining is not a word we use much. Uh, I, I found a great replacement for it, wallowing. I'm just floundering around in sin and error. Does that describe like a decade of anybody's life? Yeah, you know, or longer? And you're like, I'm just swallowing around in the sin and error. And this describes the whole world. And this, this great, this person who wasn't even a Christian got it. They read the story of Luke chapter two and they're like, yeah, this would be great. I wonder if the song's popularity taken off changed that person's heart. I don't know. But this is the picture that the song paints. It's, it's the reality that Jesus was born into. Because without Jesus, this world is stuck in sin and error. We are pining, wallowing around in it. Recent research shows that one, 15 million people suffer from depression right now. It's a lot. Could be more, could be less. That's a lot of people, though. Maybe you've struggled with depression in your life. I have. It's been a personal problem of mine through the years. Sin and error pining. Maybe it's not something you necessarily did, but just like a state of mind. Around the world, did you know that every 30 to 40 seconds, according to a statistic I was looking up this past week, every 30 to 40 seconds, someone takes their own life in suicide. It's a lot. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Did you know that currently about one out of every two marriages in America ends in divorce? How beautiful it is on the wedding day when you take your vows, but some of you have been on the hard end of that. Some of you more than once. It hurts. Long lay the world. And we're hurting in that. I'm proud of us, America. Uh, a couple years ago, this percentage was like 52%, and now it's at like 48%. We're making some headway. That's great. But still, that's a lot. He says, yeah, people just aren't getting married. That's probably true. When we look at the world that we live in, the economy is insane. I look at children being exposed to violence and mature topics sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner in their life through the access to media. It's, you look at the world, and this guy wrote this song in the 1800s. We're, we're, we're in the 2000s. And in the 1800s, he said, long lay the world. But you know when Jesus hit the scene... On that old holy night, before, long lay the world at that point. It's the nature of mankind. We just wallow in our mess. 
there's a world to describe a life without Jesus. And I don't know if there's a much better word than the one he says. Let's just look at this, uh, this lyric again. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. If I had to pick a word to describe maybe the state of the world, weary would be a good one. In fact, Jesus himself says, come to me all who are what? Weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus knew that that was what the world was longing for, a weary, hurt, broken world. I want to take a second to look back at a really old book, probably a book that many of us haven't even looked at yet. When's the last time you did some serious reading out of the book of the Bible called Lamentations? Anybody? Read it this morning? I had to be like, where is that again? I, I forgot. Um, the book of Lamentations happens in a pretty weary, dreary state. Uh, Jeremiah is credited with writing it. He's a prophet. At the time that Jeremiah was around, let's see, this was 586 B.C., Jerusalem had fallen to their enemies, and they basically woke up to their whole world turned upside down. Imagine waking up tomorrow and love or hate America and all of our good and bads. Imagine waking up tomorrow and America is over. Imagine that. That's what these people were waking up to. Everything that they, they, and imagine waking up and finding that you're basically slaves to a conquering people. That's, that's what the people in Jeremiah's time are dealing with. We're in Lamentations. This is in the Old Testament of the Bible. The Old Testament teaches us kind of the story of the nation of Israel and how it led up to the birth of Jesus. If you kind of didn't know that, that's helpful to know. And the book of Lamentations, we're going to read from chapter 3, starting at verse 19. But let me just tell you, the whole book is sad, okay? The title of it is Lamentations. And Jeremiah's writing this because his whole world is turned upside down, and so rightfully so, he's saying, man, this stinks. The first three chapters of the book, he basically says this, this stinks. And then we get to verse 19 of chapter 3, and he's going to turn a little corner here. And I want to focus, it's a glimmer, it's a glimmer of light in what is otherwise a really dark moment in world history, for them especially. Verse 19, this is him writing, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. A weary world. Yet, this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Have you ever hit such a rock bottom that your good news for the day is, I'm still breathing. Yeah, I've had some days like that. But sometimes you have to do what Jeremiah does here. He says, yet I call this to mind. You have to at least step back. And one of my favorite Christmas movies is White Christmas. And there's a sound, count your blessings. And I find that when I step back and start to count my blessings, I realize things are not as terrible as I think they are, even though some things are bad. But this is what Jeremiah finds himself in. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassion. Never fails. They are new. Every morning. So he takes a moment to praise God before he gets back into lamenting for like 20 more chapters. Great is your faithfulness. Like, (laughs) there are moments where we hit these hard times. We're in the weary world. We're in sin and error pining. And we look at it and go, where's the good in this? But we got to call to mind What has God done in the past? Now, it's going to mean different things for different ones of us. If you're new to church, maybe this is your first time here. Welcome. So glad you're here. Hang with us. We're family. We love to just bring our baggage and our mess and do it together. That's what church should be. 
And so maybe you can't look back and say, I'm not sure God's ever blessed me. I'm not sure. I think if you spend time with some people who have been in your shoes, they will be able to help you see that easier. But if you have been there, do like Jeremiah, draw to mind. Remind yourself, where has God carried you so far? Because God is faithful and just, and he'll carry you again. And it's not always the way that we want it to be. In fact, we spent the last four weeks talking about that in Enemies of the Heart. But it's always the way that it needs to be. And that's philosophy and theology all rolled into one big hard-to-understand mess. But when Jesus came into the world to stand in that gap, what he wanted to bring was not always the pure answers to all of our questions. He wanted to bring us hope to know that there is redemption from this. And what we see about God's compassion from Lamentations is what Jeremiah says, they are new every morning. I have needed this in my life more times than I can count. God, I need new mercies every morning. I used up the ones you gave me. I'm going to need some new ones. Jeremiah comes back and says, verse 24, you know you're serious when you start talking to yourself. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. There's a story in the Old Testament that Jeremiah's kind of calling back to here, but it's the story of the nation of Israel, and they're in a really tough spot. They're kind of wandering through the wilderness at this time in history, and God's providing food for them every day, miraculously food. And the rule of the food was you can go out every day, you can collect the food that your family needs for the day, and that'll feed you for the day. If you take too much, that food, will, what happens to the food? It rots. It'll, it won't last tomorrow. And it's just like that's the way God's magical food worked in those miraculous times. So people would try to take too much. It would rot. It wouldn't be there. God was trying to teach them a lesson. This was the lesson. I want you to trust me one day at a time. That's how much I'm going to take care of you right now. That was the, the, the lesson that the whole nation of Israel needed to learn at that point. So this is your portion for the day. And when Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, you find this guy rock bottom. He's saying, you know what? I don't even know what to do. I can't even... <laughs> But the Lord is my portion. I'm going to trust him to get me through today. And his mercies are new every morning. And this is the cool thing. Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. That's a big teaching that he gives us in the book of Matthew. But through this teaching, we learn something about God and his concept of time. To him, tomorrow isn't tomorrow. To him, tomorrow is like, I've already been there. The mercies of God are new every morning, not because on tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and everything's going to be okay again, but because when you wake up tomorrow, guess who's going to be there? The creator, the sovereign Lord of the whole universe. He's going to be there. He's going to be there tomorrow. And guess when he's going to be there? The next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. That's the one constant you can count on. And so maybe you're living in a weary world right now. Christmas isn't that thrill, thrilling to you because you're like, it's just another time to be disappointed. Maybe you feel like you're just pining in mistakes in your past. Maybe what you hear, need to hear today is this. God came into the world and took on human skin to stand in that gap for you. He came and he put, the, he put his money where his mouth is. He had the rubber to the road. You pick your metaphor. He got in the trenches so that we would know that his mercies are new every morning. Back to Lamentations one more time. Because not only is there a peacefulness that comes from knowing 
God is there and his goodness is there, like that anticipation of Christmas morning, uh, that excitement, there's also a promise that when we make the choice to place our hope in him, something happens. That thrill of hope. Verse 25 says this, the Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Waiting is the hardest thing in the world to do. I hate waiting rooms. I hate red lights. I can't stand driving behind people that don't know where they're going. I don't like to be second in line in anything. You with me? It's the American coming out in me. What is this guy, Jeremiah, and you can find a lot of other places in Scripture, so what is his advice? Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Ooh, I'm a Boy Scout leader. I love scouting. I love what it does for young men. And, and uh, even with all the messes in the news about it, that's just national stuff. I love being on, in the lives of these young guys and helping them to learn great qualities and moral things. And there's a thing we teach them, uh, a lot of things that we teach them. One thing that we teach them is about what to do if you ever get lost somewhere. And, there, and there's a, a four-step acronym that we teach, and I've got to teach it to a lot of young guys, and it's STOP, S-T-O-P, S-T-O-P. You can learn this yourself right now. I'll sign it off in your book, and you can get an advancement. S-T-O-P. And this is how it goes. Number one, S, stay calm. You know, panicky people don't make good decisions. And so the first thing we try to teach our boys is take a deep breath and don't freak out. You might be 11 years old and lost in the woods. It has happened many times. But stay calm. So if you need to sit down and drink some water and breathe, that's your first step. Because if you first start trying to solve problems on your own without settling down, you're going to make mistakes. S-S, stay calm. T, think. Panicky people don't think. <laughs> calm people don't think. What do I know? What do I know right now? What are my resources? I got a cell phone in my pocket with a GPS locator. Oh, think. When you're freaking out, you don't think. And there's a lot we teach them about what to do while they think. Stay calm, think, observe. The power of observation is mighty. And I teach them, use all your senses. Start with your eyes. It's the easiest thing. Then use your ears, maybe your nose. Uh, you might could use your sense of touch. I don't know. But mostly those first three. I see the big cow statue. That's right. We parked the car near the big cow statue. It's over there. Okay. I observed that. You don't even have to move to the last step because you know where your car is now. I hear there's traffic over there. That's right. We parked our, our, our campsites near, near the, the highway. Well, I probably should make my way to the highway. Then I could, you know, observe. And the last thing is this. Plan. Plan. Notice how you do some other things before you plan. A lot of times we just start running. And one of the most dangerous things people do is when they get lost is they just, they just try to just find their way back without thinking, without observing. They just start, and they get more lost. And we teach the boys after these four steps that they still aren't able to make a good plan on how to get back on track. And you've told your kids this if you're a parent. What, what should they do? Sit down. <laughs> Stay right where you are. Don't move. You know what Jeremiah calls that? Wait on the salvation 
of the Lord. Now, he's given us some tools, and there's some times when we can move past the brokenness on our own, and we can go to counseling, and we can get good advice from good friends, and maybe you can pick up a few more hours at work to help you out of your situation. But if we rely solely on solving the problem by ourselves, we are going to leave ourselves short. But in this weary world, if we learn to wait on the Lord, we can learn the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoicing. Wait, 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 wait. Because on the other side of waiting, I'm going to tell you this, and you've seen this, it is amazing the difference that one day can make. You ever wake up to that phone call? You ever wake up to that uh, news from work? You ever wake up to, ah, I remember now. It's amazing the difference that one day can make. I want to tell you what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. He talks about this waiting thing as if you're asleep and you just need to wake up to God. He says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. His mercies are new. Every morning, wait on the Lord. You don't have to solve this by yourself because God came into the world as a human baby to stand in the gap between his beauty and our brokenness. Oh, holy night. Stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. The night when Christ was born. Let's sing this song together. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Fill up hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder grace, a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh, here. so much, Lord, for such a, a simple gesture, but 
of one that I can't imagine the complexities of in the spiritual realm, that you would just come be with us. So often I'm, I'm, I'm working on a project and I, I get stuck and I got to call an expert or a buddy that knows more than I do. Or I hear my kids working on a project and they need to call mom or me to come in the room to give them a hand. Lord, you are the creator. You're the provider. You know how this world is supposed to function. You know how our souls are supposed to work. So may we call on you and wait on you until you come. Thank you for stepping into this weary world, bringing hope, light, and your love so that we can know forgiveness and salvation. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.